Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season six episode five coming to you today from colorado springs former home of the cotton club colorado's first integrated jazz club back in the 1940s wow that's a revolution a revelation of things to learn today it is no longer exists but was an important component of the city at one time i am terry church ministries leader for the alliance and I'm Alan, uh, Eastern PA Director of Multiplication, and still never ceasing to be amazed by the things you uncover for our intros. And I'm Caitlin, producer and digital media specialist for the Alliance. It's all about knowing how to Google, Alan. I'll oh, teach you. I'll teach, teach you me someday. that. Yeah, I have to the learn. The Google machine. It has all the answers. Yeah. Yes. What's Google? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you count on me to keep you cutting edge, Alan, I know. So. Yes, that's it. That's what I count on you for, Terry. <laughs> So our guest today is uh, Aaron Davis. If you uh, connected with the 40 Days of Prayer weekly virtual prayer gatherings, Aaron was a part of that first one with uh, Dana Gresh. Aaron is a an author, a blogger, and a speaker. And uh, she's on the ministry team of uh, Revive Our Hearts with uh, Nancy Lee uh, DeMoss Wagamuth and uh, works with our own Dana Gresh uh, under the umbrella of that ministry as well. So uh, looking forward to anything in particular from Erin today? No, you know, my first exposure to her, well, actually, I guess my first exposure to her was my wife watched an episode of uh, their, you know, beginning COVID weekly Bible teaching stuff. Grounded? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Grounded. Grounded, Yes, that's Grounded. And And I saw that a little bit of that. And then... Uh, the 40 days, and I was like, wow, this is a down-to-earth person, and she's real. And so I, I like conversations with real people. Agreed. So, this, speaking of revelations, here's a revelation. Oh, no. Go to your nearby Ace Hardware. <laughs> they do not sponsor our show. But they, they should. should, though. They, they should. should. They should. Ace Hardware, if you're listening. So go to your nearby Ace Hardware and grab yourself a Frost Top root beer that I thought you would have to drive all the way to Huntington, West Virginia to get. But Alan took me to Ace Hardware last night and bought me a 32-ounce bottle. Wow, mm. that Alan, what a guy. I'll he is you. delicious. <laughs> so drink that Frost Top root beer a sip at a time. Sit back, relax. Here we go. Hey, Equipping You friends, it's Caitlin here, and I want to tell you about something super special that we have launched here at Equipping You that's just for you, and we think you're really going to love it. If you're an avid Equipping You listener, an Equipping You live attender, or both, you need to join our Facebook group called Equipping You Community. We love that on the podcast and at Equipping You Live, we get to empower you in your ministries. But we believe that for you to really see the true transformation of your leadership that you want, Applying what you learn in community is key. So pause this episode right now and head over to facebook.com slash groups slash equipping you community. 
Or you can go to equippingyou.com and scroll all the way to the bottom and click on Equipping You Community. We can't wait to see you there. And it's our privilege to welcome Aaron Davis to Equipping You Podcast. Aaron, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, I'm honored to be invited. So uh, we love to hear our guests' stories, get to know them a little bit better. So tell us a little bit about your background, how you came to faith in Jesus, and maybe who some influential leaders or mentors have been in your life. I'd be happy to. I grew up in rural Missouri, where I still live, uh, in the home of a Christ-following mama and a non-Christian dad. So Mm. those passages about Mary not being equally yoked, I understand those, they're there for our good. And when I was 10, that marriage broke up. Um, my dad chose to lose, leave the family and that, um, left a a mark on my life for sure. Not beyond God's redemption, but, um, there were a lot of years of wandering and questions and hurt. And then as a teenager, um, I came to Christ. Uh, my mom remarried and that man said, we're going to go to church. And we did. And um, I was a teenager at the time. So um, the youth pastor approached our family on our first Sunday at church. I'm so grateful that he did. And I have a twin sister, and he invited that twin sister and I to join the youth at camp. Great. And we both gave our lives to Jesus at that camp. So I. Praise God. I couldn't have articulated, fully articulated the gospel at the time. Um, I had a praying mama, and she taught us biblical truths, but we were in and out of church, um, probably as much out as we were in, and there was some dysfunction. Um, so I didn't fully understand what I was doing. Uh, I don't know that I still fully understand what I did, but the Spirit <laughs> of God compelled me, and Amen. I responded, and it was really the best moment of my life. Yeah. Um, and been following Him, you know, the best I can uh, ever since then. I'm still a person of flesh, even though the spirit lives in me and I don't do it perfectly, but so grateful for Christ living in me, for his word, for his church, all of those things have really transformed me. And as far as the voices of other people that have um, had tremendous influence, that youth pastor is one of them. Yeah, He became a church planter in California, but he was involved in my life for those very formative years. Um, the pastor of that church, which is still the church that I attend, um, he pastored that church for 36 years. He um, has been out of the pulpit for a couple of years, but he's been hugely influential in yeah. my life. Just a pastor who stepped up to the pulpit every week and preached the word yeah. and drip, drip, drip week after week. Um, he's had a profound influence on my life. Yeah. Uh, I, those are probably the biggies. My, my husband is a man who walks with God and loves God. So in our 20 years of marriage, he's had a pretty profound influence in me as well. But it's none of the big names. It's nobody famous. It's yep. just those people that have been faithful. I think that's true for most of us, and I love that story. I think that's why we like asking our guests about that, because it's really encouraging to know that we all make a difference. We don't have to be famous to make a difference, and we help shape other people's lives. And I love hearing these stories from our guests about who's influenced their lives, because most of the time, it's not big names. You know, sometimes we get right. some surprising big names, but a lot of times it's just everyday people who helped. And that's beautiful. That's the yeah. body of and Christ. I know you, you have a lot of pastors who listen. And, you know, if I said my pastor's name right now, it wouldn't mean anything to anybody. But um, 
man, his influence on my life, I, I don't think I could fully articulate it. You, and then you expand that out to our whole congregation yeah. and yeah. my children and all, eventually my children's children, he will have an impact on them. So faithful pastors, what a role you have to play. Amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. Good word. So tell us about your current ministry. Well, I'm the content manager for a ministry called Revive Our Hearts. Um, Nancy DeMoss-Wogel leads the charge of that ministry, and our mission is simple, calling women to freedom, fullness, and fruitfulness in Christ. So uh, we're in our 20th year of ministry, though I haven't been on staff that long, um, and women still need freedom, fullness, and fruitfulness yeah, in Christ. Yeah. So uh, we keep serving in that, and we've been amazed um, at what the Lord has done with, it's all loaves and fishes, all ministry is, but um, what the Lord has done really to ignite a global movement of women who um, love his word and want to live it. And then um, probably in tandem with that, I wouldn't say in addition to that or an exception to that, but in tandem with that, I write when I can and teach as much as possible um, about the word of God to women. It really, I've said for a long time, Anywhere that will let me teach the Bible, I will go. And um, that's proven pretty true. And the Lord has provided some pretty remarkable opportunities to teach his Bible, teach his word. So uh, I'm a Bible teacher and uh, a writer. And, and you know, that really, I should have started here probably, but I'm a mom of four boys. So four um, boys. a lot well, of ministry. More yeah, power to four you. Boys. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I need it. Uh, toddlers <laughs> to teenagers. So a lot of my ministry is at home yeah. showing those boys what it means to yeah. love Jesus and to live for him. Love it. And you and Dana Gresh do a uh, like a weekly thing together. Tell us about that. We do. It's called Grounded, and um, it was forged in the as the pandemic was starting to descend on all of us. A group of us got in a Zoom room, and we were starting to hear things like, shelter at home, yeah, um, yeah. flatten the curve, all of those things that are now kind of a part of our collective vocabulary, but they were very new then. Yeah. And uh, we knew that women we were getting ready to go home in droves. We knew that meant they were going to be separated from their local church bodies to some degree, maybe their women's Bible studies, and we knew there would be a great need for hope. So we started a video cast called Grounded. And our mission is to give a weekly, now it's weekly, it was daily, infusion of hope and perspective. So we we broadcast via YouTube and Facebook every day for 75 episodes, every weekday, um, just like March of 2020 is when that launched. Yeah, so yeah. that was when things were really starting to heat up globally. And the Lord, um, I'm amazed what the Lord did. I really am. You know, we were living through the pandemic too, my Children came home from school and yep, we yep. were adjusting to all of that. But um, to me, it, I look back on it and think of it as one of the greatest moments that I got to serve the church. I liken it for me to wartime when people just continue to broadcast out hopeful messages. And that's what we did. And we're still doing it. Now it's weekly. You know, the, women still need hope. They still need perspective. Um, but we've gone to weekly and we just are trying to um, take everything that's going on in the world and filter it through the grid of God's word. And that always results in hope. So I'm honored to get to do that with my longtime friend, Dana Gresham. Yeah. And our own Alliance official worker. So Aaron, tell me what you love about God's word 
and preaching it and teaching it to others. Well, how much time do we have? Uh, I really could <laughs> yeah. talk endlessly about God's word. And um, I mean it. Uh, I'll tear up thinking about it. God's word has transformed me um, and it transforms me still. It, it renews my mind. It softens my heart. I think I tend towards hard heartedness, especially in these times when there is so much bad news, mm. I can just get compassion fatigue, you know, in the first 15 minutes of my day. And um, God's word, I think God's word, I know is the thing that keeps my heart soft in these times. It, it, it God's word describes itself as a mirror. There's that passage in James where it tells us that if we look at the mirror and look in God's word and we don't do what it says, we're like a man who looks in the mirror and forgets his own reflection. And it's a mirror in that it's the only way by which I can rightly see myself. I, I can't assess myself correctly. I'll get it wrong. Um, and other people don't really assess me correctly. They'll get it wrong. But God's word is the mirror in which I can look and see my own unrighteousness and also that I'm a child of God. So, you know, I love how it changes me and it keeps me from navel gazing. And it is the great honor of my life to get to teach it. I, you heard my story. I, I didn't grow up in a home where I memorized large swaths of scripture. I grew up in a loving home, but not necessarily a home where God's word was really emphasized. So for me to be a Bible teacher is, is such a wonder to me. I didn't go to seminary, didn't go to Bible college, even actually didn't even know that was a thing. Um, as I was growing up, you went to college and you went to college to make a good living. And never did I once consider going to Bible college. It wasn't until I was in graduate school, which I didn't go to Christian graduate school, um, in graduate school that I realized there was a whole nother path I could have taken, um, of Christian education. I celebrate Christian education, but um, it wasn't the path that my feet were on. So the fact that I'm a Bible teacher absolutely amazes me. And what do I love about doing that is that the Bible is what it claims to be. I mean, it is a sword. It does cut away at the things in us that are not of God. Um, it is a light. It does uh, help us to see the things that God wants us to see. It is a mirror. I talked about that too. And so, you know, I have seen it over and over and over change women's lives. I just taught at an event this weekend and I did not say anything profound. I'm sure I didn't. I'm sure I said lots of goofy things. I tend to, but just God's word went out and it had its effect on women's hearts. And I just got to be a spectator to it. And I love that. A woman found me at the end of that. And she said, the beginning of this weekend, I was dead inside wow. and I am alive again. That's I didn't do that. I can't do that. Praise Isn't God. that amazing? Praise God. It is amazing. And that's not, that's not the exception. Any of us who teach the word know that's what it does. So I love getting to be a part of what God does in people's lives through his word. It is truly an honor. Love it. So when you're thinking about speaking at events like you did, um, how are your messages kind of birthed in your mind and heart in terms of, you know, the seed of the ideas? Yeah, I love that you were, used that word seed. I mean, that's Jesus's word. It's in, you know, Matthew, he gives us that parable about the soil being our hearts and the seed being his word. And so that's a good representation of what I do. I'm just a seed scatterer. Um, I'm not responsible necessarily for the soil. That's what God does. But I have a philosophy of teaching um, 
And it is this, that it's my job to make sure the aquifer is full. So I live on a farm here in Missouri and we have a really deep well. My husband could probably tell you how many feet it is. And it is the best water in the world. I don't, you're good argue with me if you want to, but man, is our water good on our <laughs> Missouri farm because we have this deep, deep well <laughs> dug way deep into the ground. We were just traveling for several days and we got home and all four of my children ran to the sink, guzzled the water and said, oh, we have the best water. We really do. And so it's my <laughs> philosophy that <laughs> it's my job to make sure the aquifer of my heart, of my inner life is full mm. so that anytime I'm called upon to turn on the spigot and teach, I'm ready. So I don't really move from speaking engagement to speaking engagement or, or topic, you know, teaching opportunity to teaching opportunity where I primarily invest my effort is in filling that aquifer. And that means, you know, a daily walk with the Lord. It means rich time in scripture for myself. And I have to fight for that. All of us have to fight for that. My life is complicated. Everyone who's listening to this life is complicated. And But it's a commitment that if I'm going to be a teacher of significance, um, that I'm going to have a full aquifer, meaning that the Lord has filled me with his word and with his spirit. Now, practically, that means that I almost never, ever, ever teach what I'm learning currently. So um, you won't hear me if I'm walking with the Lord right now, I'm working through the book of James very slowly. You won't hear me teach on the book of James. Um, that's just to fill the aquifer. And now maybe months later or years later, after that's marinated in me for a long time, then it might come out in my teaching. But I try to have a delay to make sure that what the Lord is doing in my heart is first and foremost for my heart. And not as a teacher. That takes some discipline. Because I like to say I'm a Bible teacher at a cellular level. I really do feel that way. Like everything I read in scripture, I want to teach. And everything I read in scripture, I'm watching the horizon. Like, ooh, when can I teach it? Who is this for? Who can I text this to? Where can I give commentary? But I've learned to wait and let the Lord do his work in my heart first. And then he'll allow me to teach it often and it'll be richer and deeper because it's been in that aquifer for a long time. So that's kind of my philosophical approach. Yeah. Love the word pictures you gave us. Yeah, that's good. I love that. So uh, give us some of the nitty gritty details of how you prepare to teach or preach commentaries, no commentaries. If so, when in your process, original languages or no original languages, outline, manuscript, how do you, how do you do this, Aaron? Uh, I love that. And I, you know, you put a hundred of us Bible teachers in a room and we'd probably give you a hundred different approaches. And I think that's okay. You know, we function that. I love that word picture Paul gave us a a body. So we all have a role to play and uh, one's not right or wrong, but uh, I do try to invest a lot more time than I'm comfortable with in preparation. Um, probably in my flesh, I would just run and gun a little bit. I just, yeah, I got a speaking engagement tomorrow and I'll start working on it the morning of, but um, I try to have quite a bit of discipline because again, my words are inconsequential. I need the Lord's words. So I need prayer first and foremost. And um, I keep using the word discipline, but it's the right word that requires discipline on my part. I will intentionally um, take time to pray before I take time to prepare. And I'm like a wild stallion that the spirits always having to bridle. 
I want to just sit down and kind of write stream of consciousness and think it's good enough, but it's usually not good enough to actually have impact. So there's a prayer step and that looks like lots of different things. And then there's a study step. And even if it is a passage of scripture, I've studied forward and backwards. Even if it's a passage of scripture, I've written a lot on. Um, I read a, wrote a Bible study on Leviticus 23 called Seven Feasts. And if I was going to teach Seven Feasts, I would make myself sit in Leviticus 23 again, even though I spent nine months in Leviticus 23. But to me, there's just you know, I want to see it with fresh eyes. I want to notice something I didn't notice before. Mm -hmm. I want to be tempted to the Holy Spirit. So I make myself sit in it again. And then I'm not, I'm not a manuscriptor. I'm an outliner. And sometimes people ask me for my notes and I'll give them this caveat. You can have them, but they won't make any sense to you. That's like (laughs) shotgun scatter. Um, Just to keep, put my thoughts somewhere. But even then, I don't use that outline very often. It's just, um, I have it, but for me, it's just trying to organize my thoughts in some way. Um, I do have a, a a somewhat of a formula. Um, it's not very original to me, but you know, there's power in a hook. Jesus did that. He would tell us stories. So I will look for something to grab my grab my readers or listeners in. And I usually start by writing down what is the felt need and a felt need. That's a marketing term, but a felt need is just what do I feel and what do I need? And so when I think about women, I think, what do they feel and what do they need related to this topic? So I'll take a little bit of time to write down what is the felt need. Then I'll usually start with a hook of some kind, which is usually a story, but I want to get them to scripture as quickly as I can. So I try not to stay in the hook story very long. And then I I want to unpack scripture as carefully as possible. So we might stay in one chapter or one verse. And then but there does need to be some application. Um I made a vow to the Lord several years ago that every time I teach the Bible, I will make it very easy to be a doer and very hard to be a hearer only. So I work very hard not to ever walk away from a teaching opportunity with an open-ended application. Now, you can't sometimes give a super specific application because the Holy Spirit has to do that work. But I do, there usually is some sort of response that's needed. And I'll have some idea of what that is. But even that, I try not to write too strictly because a lot of the times that will just happen in the moment. Um, the Lord will show us what the next step is. So that's my process. It sounds pretty willy nilly, but um, doesn't sound willy nilly to me. On yeah. my part, I like it. Oh, good. I like <laughs> it. It's pretty intentional. Yeah, and it leaves room for the work of God, so it's not yeah. just mechanical. I like it. Yeah, I like. Yeah, it. you know, I I heard a woman pray once this way. She said, "Lord, we've set the table. We ask you to bring the feast." Mm. And I love that. Mm. I do think I owe it to the word of God and to my God to do my due diligence. I do think I need to study. I do think I need to put some thought down. I do think I need to empathize with the women I'll be teaching and think about them and not just teach as if I'm teaching to myself. I do think I need to pray, but all I'm doing is setting the table or bring lose, use loaves and fishes again. All I'm doing is packing the picnic. But ultimately, if the Lord doesn't bring the feast, if he doesn't multiply it, 
it won't have much merit. So I do what I can. I trust the Lord to do what only he can. And he amazes me every time. So do you have any idea how long it generally takes you to prepare something that you're teaching? A uh, lifetime is the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I think if I'm teaching for 45 minutes, it probably takes me eight hours all in, you know, and that I used to be a high school teacher, uh, a history teacher. And, um, that amazed me about my first year on the job, which is that for every 45 minutes I was teaching, you know, high school seniors, uh, American history. I had to spend triple that preparing to teach them. Um, and that's probably just expanded as I've shifted to being a Bible teacher. Uh, it matters. It matters that I get it right. And it matters that I do my homework. It matters that, uh, what I say is holistic, that it doesn't just represent the one verse or one passage I might be teaching on, but that it represents the whole Bible, even if we don't go all into the whole Bible, those other verses. So all of that requires, um, a lot of elbow grease, but it's worth it. It is. So Aaron, how do you keep your communication of the word of God engaging and practical? Mm, those are great. Two great words. I think it's really important that I, as a Bible teacher, am spending a lot of time with real people. And that sounds like it would be easy, but I don't find it to be easy. I really don't find it to be easy Right now, we're recording this um, quite a bit before it will air, I think, but uh, we're not in lockdown anymore, but the, our social structure is still unsteady because yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. And so um, I'm just practically, I'm not around people near as much, but also um, I'm in a season of life where the two things I do are work and raise kids. Um, I don't do a whole lot else. And so I can catch myself teaching based on what I think women are wrestling with and it's out of touch. So I have to work really hard to, um, really spend time with people, not, not so that I can just draw from their stories, but so that I have my finger on the pulse of what's really going on. And that means that we host a small group in our house. And it means that I'm involved in women's Bible studies. And it means that I'm mentoring people, not just as a Bible teacher, but as an older woman to a younger woman. Um, it means that I talk to other parents at my kids' school events. It means that I'm looking for lots of touch points with real people so that what I'm saying is actually relevant and not just what I think people need to hear. But, you know, we don't have to polish God's word up to a high shine. It is what it is, and it stands alone. I once heard a story of a pastor who stood up. And he read one chapter of the book of Ephesians and he sat down and he turned to his neighbor and said, that was the best sermon I ever preached. And that's how I feel about <laughs> yeah. teaching. I feel like I don't have to make it relevant. I don't have to make it engaging. I don't, I don't have to have the best hook. The word of God can stand on its own. So my job is to be very faithful to teach scripture and to make sure that the, the nucleus of my teaching um, is always the word of God and it'll do the work. Amen. So you talk about staying engaged with people uh, so that you're in real life. I'm wondering, you know, obviously you can't tell stories of people that would kind of betray anything that you're kind of secretly 
cultivating them for your own purposes. But, you know, where do you come up with stories and illustrations that really connect your people with the Word of God? Well, let me tell a cautionary tale for all of us Bible teachers, which is that I did once. I've probably done it more than once. But a, a friend, a real-life friend, shared with me something in confidence. Um, just in the course of normal life, we were watching our kids play. We were drinking coffee. We were just talking. And it was the perfect illustration for something I wanted to teach later on. And she wasn't in the audience. And I didn't think it would get back to her. And it did. And it was devastating to her. I did not have permission to share that. Of course, I didn't name her name, but she knew who she was. And she knew that she told me that in confidence and not as an illustration for my teaching. And um, I hope I haven't made that mistake since. But people are not illustrations. People are people. And um, it's important that we hold their stories with great care. But I'm probably always on the lookout for stories. Everything can apply, but also I've experienced this phenomenon, and this may sound mystical. I don't mean it mystical at all, but I have experienced this phenomenon that when I'm preparing to teach, the Lord drops things into my heart and mind that I didn't even know were there. You know, uh, some story from 15 years ago that I had forgotten, um, or some little factoid that seemed inconsequential, and suddenly it's right there at the forefront of my mind. And I've learned to just go with it, you know, just to follow that through and assume that it applies and try to figure it out as I go and to listen to those things as the Lord um, brings them to mind. And he does. And that's one of my favorite parts of preparing to teach is that God does every all the heavy lifting at every step. So I'm not I'm not typically Googling like great story about the parable of the soil or anything like that. I think it's more genuine if it comes out of my life, but I am always looking. And I think, um, again, that speaks to us, this being the outflow of our real lives and an outflow of our real relationships with real people. Um, the world gives us plenty of fodder for good and for bad. And, um, if you could see my desk right now, you would know, man, she is a writer and she is a teacher because it's covered with notes and sticky notes and books that are partially read and little magazine articles that I pulled out. And um, I'm just always looking and asking the Lord to use it for his good, for asking the Lord to use it for his glory. Amen. So Aaron, give us three or four things you see as essential in effectively communicating the word to a group of people. Mm, That's really good. Well, um, I mentioned prayer, and I'm going to mention it again. It is unbearable to try and teach the Word in your flesh. Yeah. And I've done it. Mm. I've Good I've Lord. gotten to an event or an opportunity, and I didn't prepare, and I didn't pray, and I showed up in my own strength, and it was flat. You know, people clapped, and somebody probably said something sweet to me, but it's not the same as the times when the Spirit shows up, and there's no explanation for what happened. That relates to Aaron Davis. The only explanation is that God did something, and um, that's an outflow of prayer. So that I think prayer is essential, and I think having people pray for you is essential. Yeah. And this is an area where I could stand to grow. Frankly, it can feel embarrassing to me to constantly be asking people to pray for me because I teach often, 
And I don't want to, you know, weekly or daily be going to people and say, pray for me for this, pray for me for that. But I need it. I need people praying. And so I think that is essential. I think it is essential that we um, are clear. And that sounds obvious too. But I think we can sometimes get up and we know what we mean to say but we don't necessarily communicate as clearly as we think we will. And that is on us as teachers. The onus of clarity is on the teacher. It's not on the listener. So sometimes you'll teach and somebody will take it one way or another way. And it's tempting to think, well, that's not what I meant. They took it the wrong way. Well, actually, as a teacher, the onus is on you. And um, so be clear, get to your point clearly, make sure you make your point well, make sure it's biblical. Here's another one. This is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. I don't find that most Bible teachers are teaching something that's non-biblical. I don't hear that very often. But I hear a lot of us teaching something that I would call extra-biblical, which is where we're adding something to Scripture or adding an emphasis to something that Scripture doesn't give it. And that we should pay very close attention to. So when I teach, I'll say, this is Aaron Davis commentary here. Scripture doesn't say this. Scripture says this, I think this. Um, And I think that's so essential because um, I'll give some examples that seem benign, but I was teaching a group of women not long ago. And I said, did you know that the phrase great physician is not in scripture? And man, those women wanted to go to the mats. They were like, yes, it is. It's in the Bible. And I was like, okay, we're going to sit here till we find it. Get your phones out, get your Bibles out. Let's find it. Well, it's not. The idea that God is our healer is in Scripture, of course. But that name for God, God gives himself many names, but he doesn't give himself the great physician. But so many teachers have said that, that it has crept into the collective consciousness of us that we're convinced it's biblical. And it's not non-biblical, but it's not um, in Scripture. And that check is essential. Make sure that you are, it goes back to clarity. Um, make sure that you are being very clear about what this text actually says and what is your commentary or someone else's commentary because not every listener knows the difference. I'll add a fourth, um, and it is what James tells us. James tells us that not many of us should become teachers, and that is something that all of us need to remember. Uh, It shouldn't scare us. It shouldn't keep us from teaching, but it should remind us that the stakes are high and uh, whether you've you're teaching for the first time or the millionth time, um, it's good for us to remember that there is extra accountability for those of us who wield the word as teachers. And we need to remember that every time we step up to teach. Amen. And obviously when we're teaching, we're aiming for heart transformation and life change. So talk about, you Mm -hmm. know, when you're preparing your messages and then you're actually in the teaching mode, how do you move into application and then, an invitation with the call to commitment and transformation. Yeah. One thing I've learned over time is that I don't get to put the Holy spirit on any sort of time frame. And as much as I would love to see people respond right there, right that moment, that's not necessarily how God works. I mean, any of us who have been doing this any length of time have stories like this, but there are women that I have taught that in the moment I thought they were that, hard type of soil, the path that Jesus talks about in Matthew. I mean, there was no indication that they were listening. There was no indication that their hearts were being impacted at all. I I may have even thought they didn't like me. And then I'll get 
something from them years later, sometimes decades later, about how transformative a message was or an event was. So, you know, the Lord does that work in his timing, in his way. Like I said, I want to um, make it easy for them to be doers. So I think there's a softening that has to happen. There has to be a bringing down of the moment, and that happens in a lot of ways. Um, We soften our voices even. We might get down and look at them on eye level. I'll often kneel at the end of when I'm teaching and teach them from when I'm from that kneeling position, which video guys don't like because they're trying to track you with the camera, but it doesn't matter. It's that's what I do with my boys, right? If I want my boys to get something, I get right down on my knees. I grab their little shoulders or their chubby little cheeks. And I'm like, buddy, mama needs you to listen. This is why it matters. And so we do that same thing with the people we're teaching. We, find ways to put their faces in our hands and say, this is why it matters. And I find we need to be pretty overt about it. We need to say, this is what scripture is telling you to do. And this is what can happen in our lives when we don't. And because I love you, because you're my sisters. And this is often when I cry and I don't, it's not forced at all. I'm actually not a crier. I'm a farm girl, pretty tough. But when I teach scripture, especially when I get to the end, the Lord will give me a softness of heart and I go with it, even though it's uncomfortable. So, um, you know, I think we say what needs to be said. We don't stop short of a call to action, but we say it with tenderness. Now I'm not a pastor, but I very much consider myself a shepherdess. And in those moments of teaching, That's the flock that the Lord has entrusted to me. And I don't want them to run into danger. I don't want them to disregard God's word. I want them to get it. I want them to apply it. And so um, there's a tenderness there that I think is helpful. Aaron, we really appreciate you. And uh, your passion is inspirational. I can tell Mm -hmm. you love what God's called you to do. And uh, we appreciate you sharing it with us uh, today very, very much. So uh, thanks for being a part of Equipping You podcast. Uh, I'm honored to get to. It was great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Alan, you said it in the intro. uh, Aaron's very down to earth. I thought that was some very helpful insights on uh, what it looks like to prepare to teach the Bible and teach the Bible. What kind of nuggets did you come away with? Well, it certainly was a foreshadow that we thought she'd be down to earth and her teaching ministry with Dana is grounded. That works together well. And I believe the thing that I appreciate most is that she is grounded in the word. Amen. It's not just something that she pulls off the shelf and teaches, but she, I love how she says she doesn't teach anything that she's still chewing and learning Mm -hmm. on. She has to come work it through her life. Um, and I really love that. You can tell she is just somebody that's in the Word all the time, that she holds the Word in high esteem, that she humbles herself before the God of the Word so that he can use the Word of God to change people's lives. Uh, to me, it was just one of those things that was like, that was a good attitude check. You know, how do I bring myself to be a servant of the Word rather than seeing it as a tool in my hands? So true. Uh, she makes me want to read the Bible more and teach the Bible better. Mm. And uh, so really appreciate Aaron's uh, ministry to us today. 
So thanks for joining this episode of Equipping You podcast. We love that you listen and uh, sure hope that you benefit. Next time on episode six, we'll hear from Brian Kluth, who works with the National Association of Evangelicals, and he'll be talking about uh, pastoral and church finances. So practical subject, you won't want to miss it. He'll give you some great resources. So until then, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.